G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. series is entitled, The Son of God, Understanding the Gospel of John, Part 1, a verse-by-verse audio commentary, part of the larger Understanding the Bible series. And our lesson today is simply called Christ and Moses. It's from John chapter 7, verses 14 to 24. Jesus is making an appearance at the temple during the time of the Feast of Tabernacles, which is what chapter 7 is about. More, the Feast of Tabernacles is the backdrop, and he's at the pilgrimage feast, he's at the Temple Mount, he will begin to teach in the middle of the festive week, and there will come a robust confrontational discussion between the Lord and his detractors. But one of the things he will do is he will invoke Moses. Now, his opponents also used Moses. In fact, as far as they were concerned, they were blameless or righteous in that they believed or thought that they kept the law of Moses. And Jesus is basically going to tell them, no, you're not keeping the law of Moses. You may do so outwardly and try to fool everyone with your hypocrisy, but inwardly, you're just as evil and nasty as somebody who's never heard of Moses to begin with. It is robust, to say the least. But, of course, this is what happens. Let me read to you about Moses and Christ, a little excerpt from our main passage, and it begins with verse 19 of John chapter 7. Did not Moses give you the law? And yet none of you keepeth the law. Why go you about to kill me? The people answered and said, Thou hast a devil who goeth about to kill thee. Jesus answered and said unto them, I have done one work, and ye all marvel. Moses therefore gave unto you circumcision, but not because it was of Moses, but of the fathers, and ye on the Sabbath day circumcise a man. I'll stop right there. Jesus is basically telling his opponents, you know, you received the law from Moses. In that sense, you are blessed and honored, because Moses' word is, or Moses' law, is God's law and God's word. But despite your opinion, you're not actually keeping the law of Moses because you might be righteous outwardly, but you're full of hate and murder inwardly. Why do you go about to try to kill me? The people stand back and rather rudely tell Jesus that he has a devil because who on earth is trying to kill him? Well, they were, of course, oblivious and clueless. The people may not have thought anyone was trying to kill them, but the elite, the religious establishment elite, they had every intention to get rid of Jesus. And pretty much had decided that early on in the peace, when he cleansed the temple and 
when he also violated the Sabbath by healing the lame man at the pool of Bethesda. He alludes to that miracle, saying that he did one work or one miracle, and everyone marveled. This is the pool of Bethesda miracle. And so, this is our lesson. Christ and Moses from John 7, verses 14 to 24. So, Jesus makes an appearance at the Feast of Tabernacles, and after pretty much staying out of the limelight, right in the middle of the feast, he will begin to teach. And though he's teaching with anointing, authority, divine insight, people are offended, especially the elite. They're saying, how does this man have these words, considering he's no scholar, he hasn't sat under anybody's great ministry, how does he do it? And Jesus begins to speak about his doctrine. And remember, doctrine means teaching. Put me to the test, he says, whether the doctrine is of God or I'm speaking only of myself. He speaks about God's glory. He talks about the the people, his opponents, disobeying Moses and the derision they show towards him. He refers to his miracle and then his quote-unquote work on the Sabbath, as well as their work on the Sabbath. There is confusion, but then Jesus gives them an exhortation. If you're going to make judgment, do so righteously. Let us now look at the entire portion of our lesson today, John chapter 7, verses 14 to 24. Our lesson is called Christ and Moses, from John chapter 7, verses 14 to 24. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Now about the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, How knoweth this man letters, having never learned? Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God, or whether I speak of myself. He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory, but he that seeketh his glory that sent him, the same is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Did not Moses give you the law? And yet none of you keepeth the law. Why go ye about to kill me? The people answered and said, Thou hast a devil. Who goeth about to kill thee? Jesus answered and said unto them, I have done one work, and ye all marvel. Moses therefore gave unto you circumcision, not because it was of Moses, but of the fathers. And ye on the Sabbath day circumcise a man. If a man on the Sabbath day receives circumcision, that the law of Moses should not be broken, Are ye angry at me, because I have made a man every whit whole on the Sabbath day? Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. The reading is from John chapter 7, verses 14 to 24. And our lesson is called Christ and Moses. Well, this is one of those confrontational passages, and sparks will fly, but it's the word of God inspired by the Holy Spirit, it is good, it is profitable, and we will do well to take heed to what it says. God's word is life unto those that find it, and health, healing, and medicine to all their flesh. So let's begin with John seven fourteen, making an appearance. The background is Jesus, 
quietly went up to the Feast of Tabernacles after his brothers did from Nazareth. And what does he do? We'll see in a moment. Jesus faced increasing opposition in Jerusalem and in Judea. For this reason, he makes a low profile and remained in Galilee. Nevertheless, at the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus goes up secretly. He was not part of some traveling caravan. Since it was a week-long feast, he had several days in which to lie low. Nevertheless, in the middle of the feast, Jesus ascends to the temple and begins to teach, which was his normal custom. Of course, when Jesus taught, it was with anointing, authority, power, divine insight, divine wisdom. It was stunning. It was ear-catching. It was transformational. But instead of being happy at this kind of teaching, which was very, very, very consistent to the Old Testament, instead of being happy, the elite are offended and threatened and insecure. They say in verse 15 of chapter 7, how does this man know these things, having never studied or never learned? In other words, how can this man teach what he teaches? He is knowledgeable, accurate, and insightful, but he's never had any formal education. He has never studied under some renowned rabbi. Now, had Jesus taught in error or something that was heretical, that would have been a red rag to a bull, and they would have accused him immediately of propagating false doctrine. Well, they didn't. They weren't accusing him of false doctrine. They just were wondering, how on earth did he get such doctrine, since he never was part of our group? They couldn't pin anything against him. He was orthodox, and as orthodox as they come. So where did he learn such things? Of course, he is the Messiah, the Son of David, the Son of God. So it is no mystery why Jesus knew so much. But then he makes a comment about his doctrine. Doctrine means teaching. And it is really a shame that somehow this word is held at arm's length, as if somehow it's confusing, it's divisive, maybe it's considered boring, and we just want to get on with the sound and light show. Well, friends, without sound doctrine... We are actually being fed junk food rather than a nourishing diet. Any child that's raised on junk food is going to have serious health problems in the future. Any Christian that is not taught sound doctrine, but instead is getting light on things, cotton candy, or just downright error, it's going to be very, very bad in the future for them too. Paul affirms the importance of doctrine. We'll learn about this in a moment. But Jesus there in John 7, 16, makes the amazing claim that his doctrine is not his. It actually belongs to the one who sent him. In other words, Jesus' doctrine is God's doctrine. That's why it is so accurate, so anointed, and hits the mark again and again. Jesus taught with authority, and not as the scribes. As I said earlier, Paul makes much about doctrine, a word used 51 times in the Bible. Now, in what is called the pastoral epistles that Paul wrote, what are the three pastoral epistles? First Timothy, Second Timothy, 
and Titus. Paul uses the word doctrine 16 times in these three epistles. 16 out of the 51 times that it's mentioned in the Bible. Sound doctrine will strengthen the church, but false doctrine can actually destroy it if it's not unchecked. He goes on to say in John seven seventeen, prove me. The best way to prove the divine sanction of Christ's doctrine is to obey it, put it into practice. When you put into practice what he says, you will see whether this doctrine is from him or from God or simply of his own. But, of course, there is a greater goal in mind. And that greater goal is this, God's glory. He who speaks in his own authority seeks to glorify himself. And we all know there's plenty of people out there seeking to bring attention and honor to themselves. I found it's much better to just seek to get attention for God and give honor to God, because such people actually get far more honor and certainly more long-lasting honor than people that seek to honor themselves or get glory. When you seek the glory of God, you are true, and there's nothing unrighteous or unrighteous in you. Now, so far, Jesus is explaining his doctrine, but then he's going to invoke Moses, a man that's highly revered, among these religious people. In verse 19 of John 7, he actually accuses these people who think they are observant Jews and faithful to the law of Moses of actually disobeying Moses. He says there, Moses gave you the law, but, quote, none of you keep the law. They are collectively held guilty of disobedience. Why? Because they seek to kill Jesus something that is contrary to the law of Moses. Well, after all, it's part of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not murder. After all, Jesus was true. Jesus was sinless. They were not, yet they sought to destroy him. This is actually diabolical, not just unfortunate. Instead of responding with contrition and repentance, those listening to Jesus handed out derision. In John 7, verse 20, the people told Jesus that he had a devil for thinking that someone was trying to kill him. He was being, shall we say, a bit paranoid? So they thought. Their lack of discernment was only exceeded by their outright rudeness. Then, in John seven twenty one, Jesus replied that he did one miracle, and they all marveled. Now, of course, we know what that miracle was. It was the healing of the lame man at the pool of Bethesda in John 5, verse 16. Oh, yes, just one miracle, and they go into orbit. But instead of believing in him, they question him, they criticize him, they insult him. Isn't that the perversity of the carnal nature? And just remember, being religious does absolutely nothing to stop the carnal nature. And in fact, in some cases, it actually is something that exacerbates the carnal nature. We learn this in Romans 7. Whenever the law comes into the picture, the sin nature just reacts something fierce. When you're told you can't do this and can't do that, you feel like doing it all the more. That's why Paul says, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. 
In John 7, 22, working on the Sabbath. In obedience to Moses, the Jews will, quote-unquote, break the Sabbath by circumcision of an infant. Remember, however, that circumcision predates Moses, was actually instituted by the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You can read about this in Genesis 17. From there came confusion. Verse 23, in order to obey Moses, a circumcision ceremony will be held on the Sabbath day. Yet, even though they have no problem doing work on the Sabbath by circumcising an eight-day-old infant, the same religious elite go berserk because Jesus made a lame man totally whole on the Sabbath day. Their inconsistency is absolutely deafening. And then finally, in verse 24 of John 7, righteous judgment. Jesus challenges them, a challenge they pretty much don't take. He says, don't judge according to the outward appearance, but judge righteous judgment, meaning look beyond the outward to the heart, to the soul, to the spirit, and to the truth. This, of course, is the ability to discern something we need to ask God for, because with discernment, we get it right, and with the lack of discernment, we get it wrong, even unto destruction. Now, our lesson is called Christ and Moses. What is our lesson for life? The teaching of Christ versus that of the Pharisees and Sadducees was the difference between light, authority, and righteousness versus tradition, flesh, and religiosity. taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.